Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. If you know someone with Parkinson's or you know nothing about Parkinson's, you will want to read Brian's story. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is here. I had planned to spend this episode talking about the player no one seems to be talking about, Phoenix Suns big man DeAndre Ayton, whose extraordinary playoff run seems to have been lost in the shadow of his inability to match up with Giannis Antetokounmpo in the closing games of the NBA Finals, which is both unfortunate and, quite frankly, undeserved. I had hoped to shed some light on just how problematic the reported impasse on contract talks with the Suns is, but at the time of this recording, I had yet to get to the bottom of it. So, I'm going to table that conversation for now. Instead, I'm going to dive into one of the other subjects that has been swirling in my head. Bradley Beal, and assessing exactly where he stands in the NBA universe. My contention is maybe a little bit higher than he actually deserves. Point of order. This, for the most part, has nothing to do with his reluctance to get vaccinated. I say for the most part because it can't help but be a consideration in the big picture, considering the circumstance it puts the Wizards in. I'm just not going to talk about it here. Beal doesn't have quite the record of sketchiness that Kyrie Irving has, but there's no doubt that record has discounted Kyrie's standing as a player. And Beal's anti-vaccine stand isn't the first time there have been questions about his dedication. Earlier in his career, John Wall became frustrated with Beal's inability or unwillingness to play through the nicks and dings that are part of every player's season. 
and it still hasn't been fully explained why Beal withdrew from Team USA this past summer after entering health and safety protocol, while Zach Levine was subject to the same protocol, but still went to Tokyo once he was cleared. This is always the problem with great players on bad teams. Bradley Beal certainly isn't the first. But there's a tendency to overrate their statistics and to assume that the team's failures are a result of the talent around the great player and not the ability or inability of the great player to make the talent around them better. Getting a clear perspective is also complicated by the position the player plays. Once upon a time, I would have said, Point guards have a great advantage in lifting those around them, but the nature of the point guard position has changed so much, as you you will hear later in this episode, that a better description would be natural playmakers have a built-in advantage. LeBron James, of course. Chris Paul in New Orleans, and arguably now in Phoenix. Rajon Rondo in Chicago and New Orleans. Derrick Rose certainly in Chicago, and I'd say even now in New York, just to a lesser extent. I'm obviously talking different levels here in terms of raising the play of the players around that great player. There's lifting a team that is a middle-of-the-pack playoff team into the conference finals or beyond, and then there's taking a mediocre team and dragging it into the playoffs. Bradley Beal has not done any of that with the Washington Wizards. Yes, they went to the playoffs last year, but that was as much off Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double as it was Bradley averaging 31 points a game. Beal's shooting was right there with the best scorers in the game, shooting 48%, overall shooting a decent 35% from three, getting to the free-throw line a solid 7-8 times a game, and shooting damn near 90% from the line. He's a decent rebounder, and he's got a respectable career assist average of four. That's pretty good for a shooting guard. What inspired me to talk about this is the list ESPN put out ranking the top 100 players in the league going into the season. A couple other outlets, Sports Illustrated to name another one, has also done the same. And I didn't go through where they listed Beal, but because it was just going to get too complicated. I'm going to stick with ESPN's. Beal was ranked 11th in theirs, right behind James Harden at 10th. Not another shooting guard was listed ahead of them, which would ostensibly make Beal the second best shooting guard in the entire league. Ahead of Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker and Paul George, and Jamal Murray, presumably, and Chris Middleton, and Clay Thompson, and Zach Levine, and Jalen Brown. And that gives me pause. I listed all those players because I believe they are in the conversation, not because I put all of them ahead of Beal. And I don't think I'm going to go too deep into Zach Levine or Jalen Brown in this discussion. But in any case, I wouldn't be so quick to put Beal ahead of all of those names either. And that is clearly what has happened. I'm going to attribute some of it to the fact that we've heard so much about teams looking to pry Beal away from the Wizards, seeing him as the missing piece for a multitude of teams with title aspirations. 
the assumption, the assumption being made is that Beal would rise to the occasion and be everything he's been in Washington during the regular season for those teams in the playoffs. But what exactly is that based on? It's not as if his playoff numbers for the Wizards keep pace with his regular season performance. Yes, he averaged 30 against the 76ers in their first round matchup, but he shot 45% overall and 22% from three in that series. Besides, we've seen this phenomenon before. Kevin Love was routinely ranked as a top 10 player when he was in Minnesota, ranking among the league's top rebounders and averaging 20 plus points. I assume that's why he was given that status. That the Timberwolves never made the playoffs wasn't held against him, apparently, except by me. I never considered him a top 10 talent, and I felt vindicated when he went to Cleveland and played a very complimentary role in their runs to the finals. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who would argue that Kevin Love was a difference maker on those teams. A contributor? Sure. But they finished a fair amount of games with him on the bench in crunch time. Anthony Davis's numbers in New Orleans were even more impressive than Love's, and as a result, he was routinely ranked as a top five player, sometimes even in the top three. New Orleans missing the playoffs five out of the seven years he was there wasn't held against him, apparently, except by me, contending that a top three player should be able to take four average NBA players and at least be a 500 team, if not make the playoffs. The Pelicans only had records above 500 twice in those two playoff years. That's a far cry from what, say, Kevin Garnett did in Minnesota. Not only making them a perennial team winning 50 games, but also making the playoffs just about every year. And why are we ranking Beal ahead of Paul George, who, in the ESPN list, was right behind him at 12th. Is it because of George's failings in the postseason? How can that be fair? George, with David West as the second best player on the team, led the Pacers to the Eastern Conference Finals. And if we're talking about just recently, he stepped in for Kawhi Leonard and led the Clippers past the Utah Jazz to the Western Conference Finals. George is twice the rebounder Beal is, and a far better defender. And while he has had his letdowns on the big stage, he's done his fair share of delivering as well. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For those who object to George being considered a shooting guard rather than a small forward, I understand. I wrestled with that too, especially in today's positionless NBA. So I asked a handful of scouts and GMs to rank the top shooting guards as much to see who they designated as shooting guards as to see where they put Beal. They all mentioned Paul George as a shooting guard. One's, 
one scout's list was Harden, George, Mitchell, Booker, and then Beal. He had Harden, George, and Mitchell all ahead of him with Booker and Beal fighting it out for fourth and fifth. The overall point, he had George as a two. But if you're down on George, okay. What about Donovan? Are we downgrading him because he played against the Clippers on a bad ankle? I'd argue that just shows how invaluable he was to the Jazz, who were the best team, at least record-wise, in the entire Western Conference with him healthy, but couldn't get out of the second round with him impaired. Mitchell already has proven himself to be a better playmaker than Beal, and both he and George shoot the three better than Bradley. Devin Booker presumably has the same bias working against him that Donovan has. Seeing him struggle against the Bucks in the finals exposed his limitations, his shortcomings as a defender, or someone whose scoring opens up the floor for easy buckets by others. Devin doesn't do that. But it ignores that he absolutely shredded the Lakers in the first round, averaging 36-5 and five while shooting a torrid 43% from three-point range. And if you're going to say, well, Beal played the Sixers, a far better defensive team, not according to the efficiency ratings during the regular season. In any case, what Devin did against the Lakers is far different than what Beal did against the Sixers. Booker cooled off as the playoffs progressed, but he still averaged more in the next two series across the board and shot better than Beal did against Philly. I wouldn't even bring up Clay Thompson or Jamal Murray because they're currently on the shelf with injuries, but since ESPN listed Clay, I feel I have to. Now, Jamal is listed and regarded by some as a point guard, though I'd contend he's simply a scoring guard, the same way Harden is, regardless of his designation. Jamal's primary attribute is scoring. In any case, he was not among the top 100, which gave me pause as well. But the explanation given is that he's not expected to play this season. Clay, on the other hand, is ranked 32nd. If the expectation is that Clay will not be better than CJ McCollum or Brandon Ingram when he comes back, both of whom were ranked ahead of him, someone better alert everyone in the Bay Area because they're certainly expecting a lot more than that. They're expecting him to return as something close to what we last saw. And while I have my doubts about that, if he does, are we still putting Beal 21 spots ahead of him? I'm not sold on Chris Middleton as a go-to scorer, but I can't dismiss the times he came up big for the Bucks in their run for a title. I'd argue Beal is an all-around better player. I can't argue that he's done more to prove it. The assumption being made is that if Beal was on the Jazz, or the Clippers, or the Suns, he would have delivered in a bigger way than George Mitchell or Booker did. I'm assuming that's the assumption, because I don't know how else you get to Beal being ranked so far ahead of certainly Mitchell and Booker. Now, I heard similar arguments made for Tracy McGrady back in the day, that he was capable of doing everything that Kobe Bryant did if he'd had the chance to play alongside Shaquille O'Neal. It completely ignores that excelling in the playoffs 
is a completely different animal than the regular season. And I would argue that it gives you a better read on exactly how good a player is. So what is any of this based on when it comes to Beal, other than conjecture? The idea that Beal is right behind Harden, which again is what the list suggests, doesn't seem quite right either. Harden has won a league MVP title and has been in the running at least two other times. I've never thought once about putting Bradley Beal among the five names on my MVP ballot. None of this is to suggest that Beal isn't capable of being one of the best shooting guards in the league. His combination of size, strength, agility, and ability to make difficult contested shots is impressive. It's all-star level for sure. But being an all-star is based on regular season performance. George, Mitchell, Booker have done that as well. What distinguishes them from Beal is that they've also proved themselves when it matters most, the postseason. And Beal hasn't. Yet. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, we may get to the DeAndre Ayton subject if I happen to get the information that I'm looking for on just how problematic this snafu, if you will, is uh, regarding his signing a extension with the Phoenix Suns. If I don't, then we will probably go in another direction and I'm itching to take a look at the Chicago Bulls and what we should make of their early look in the preseason. I'm loath to make too much of preseason performances, but there's some hallmarks of this Chicago team and the players that they've assembled that reminds me of another team that struggled and struggled and then suddenly lit the lamp and became something special. We may get to that in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.